happening, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So today I welcome back Adam Sutherland from Frag Garage in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. What's going on there, Adam? Oh, not much. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate the invite. Good having you back on, man. I think we were talking before the stream the last time you were on was, uh, would you say June 2022? Yeah, yeah, June last year, yeah. Yeah, wow. It's been a, it's been a long time. We've got a lot of catch-up to do here with the, uh, with the folks in the, uh, the audience. Just uh, for those that don't know Adam, he's been in the hobby since 2001. And uh, he, like myself, was a Reef Central Tank of the Month. And that was in September of 2015. Man, that seems like a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> he eventually started selling frags from his tanks, which turned into a small business. And it's now full-time since 2020, correct? Yep. 2020. Thanks, COVID. Yeah, there you go. He's, um, he's probably the best-known stickhead in Western Canada, and he's done a few feature articles with reef builders and he just launched his own podcast called beyond the reef so we'll talk a little bit about that with adam before we start chatting though with him i want to thank both the uh, sponsors for the show bulk reef supply and ecotech marine really appreciate their support and i also appreciate all you folks out there tuning in please spread the word hit that like button so more people can find this live stream and while you're at it what the heck why don't you uh subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already and as always encourage everyone to drop their comments and questions in the chat i see we have a bunch of people already in the chat so adam man how's it uh, how's it going what's uh, what's new with you yeah yeah it's been good um you know the podcast has been a labor of love so far uh you know just kind of you know getting guests uh having these conversations trying to promote it get it out there uh so really that's been taking some of my extra time and, uh, you know, busier in the fall with orders, like people start, especially in Canada, it's like more seasonal here, <laughs> at least in, well, probably for you too. Right. Um, so people don't buy as much coral in the summer. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then as soon as you hit September, it's like the orders start rolling in. So I get busier and, uh, you know, kind of hermit a little bit more and, you know, just kind of zone out working on my tanks. I kind of, so. I kind of enjoy the, uh, the summertime because when, when things quiet down a little bit, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's nice to kind of catch up and do some of that maintenance that you've been kind of putting off with the uh, with the tanks and and totally. um yeah i sort of look look forward to that quiet time but yeah you're right it does uh, start picking up in in the fall time i guess in the summer times it's a bit of a challenge in terms of um shipping at least where i'm at i mean in vermont it's not too terrible in terms of hot temperatures but it's always like you get those orders from folks that are out in um you know um nevada or uh certain parts of california there's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, down south in Florida, and it's kind of like it makes me cringe a little bit when I look at that extended forecast and I see, like, you know, hundreds and heat index of 110. It's like, <laughs> you know, with that sort of thing, I'm like, yeah, I think we're going to kind of, like, try to ride this out a little bit. I mean, how do you how do you sort yeah. of like handle that stuff? Well, yeah, that's an interesting thing. I've been thinking about that recently, too, because we've had some pretty major variance in temperatures across Canada. So it's been cooler, actually, here and then quite hot over in Toronto, Montreal area. So I'm like... Do I use a heat pack? Because if it's going to be, uh, let's say, I mean, I'm in Celsius, but it'd be, you know, in the hot, like 30 degrees Celsius over in Montreal last week. So, like, do I use a heat pack, like, for the first part of the trip? And then, like, I don't want the corals to get warmer when they arrive there. So, I mean, the best thing you can really do is get people to pick up from the ship center. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and hopefully people are willing, like, I mean, you know, I, <laughs> some people have a problem with it and it's like, if yeah. we're going to give you the guarantee, we're going to, we're going to say all DOA arrival. Can you please just go a little out of your way and pick up at the ship center if the temperature is too hot or too cold, you know? Yeah, that's that's always the thing that I try to do. It's um it's tough though in certain areas. You know, I use UPS in certain areas. There are not um that's true. A yeah, a ton of UPS customer centers nearby. I've gotten into trouble, and it's not really, I guess, you know, trouble that I've gotten into. But um, there's been some issues where I've had stuff sent to UPS stores, which are not affiliated with UPS. You know, that's a whole mm-hmm. different thing. Like, so I've sent stuff to people that would go and pick it up at a UPS store. And there's been at least two instances where the um, the tracking said the packages were delivered, yet they didn't know where the packages were at the UPS oh, store, and they didn't um, <laughs> they didn't make it until the following day. You know, luckily, yeah, you know, I, um, I I I packed stuff well, and they survived. But um, just really weird stuff like that with, yeah. with the UPS store. Do you, do you uh, so what do you uh, use in terms of a carrier out there? Um, I use FedEx and Pure Later. Um, I would say FedEx is a little bit better overall over here. Uh, I haven't used UPS for years. I don't super trust them. Um, but could uh, be different in Canada. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I have delays every once in a while. But you know, you and I have talked about you know some of our shipping techniques, and I think I've got it kind of down to a point where delays don't really concern me. It's it's just part of it, and and you know, like ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Acros are okay an extra day, sometimes yeah. even a, even a third day. So yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that um, I had uh, been talking to you about was the use of oxygen, and that's something that I started doing. I think soon mm-hmm. after you were on the uh, on the show the last time, and we'll talk about that in terms of you know having guests on our podcast and actually taking some of the advice that the guests are giving, or, or at least mm-hmm. kind of co- doing what the guests are doing in terms of the methods, but. Um, yeah, using oxygen was uh, was something I started to do about, um, you know, I guess uh, after you were on. And then um, another thing is uh, the use of activated carbon. Do you, I, I can't re- recall. Do you uh, use activated carbon? Yep. Yeah, I, I put a little carbon in there. And I don't know exactly what the oxygen is doing for the coral. I think it's more keeping the pH stable. Um, you know, cause if you think about it, like when you're, when your lights are out, I mean, corals aren't getting any light when they're in the bag <laughs> shipping, right. uh, when your lights are out, like your pH is your pH drops at night, right? So your the zooxanthellae expel some of the carbon dioxide that they've built up over the day. So, um, I think especially for longer durations, having that sort of better atmosphere in the bag just supports, um, like a much better, uh, environment for the coral. Um, you know, because what are the other factors? It's like, you know, flow is something that's missing, but Mm -hmm. like the box is getting moved every once in a while. There's a little bit of swishing here and there on the truck. Sometimes it gets (laughs) drop kicked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, if, if they're packed well, if they're in cups or, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. Do you use cups or? Yeah. I use those little, uh, I don't have any close by, but those little kind of like, um, medicine, little plastic, uh, cups, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, if the coral's not going to get broken in the bag, and if you know the temperature's stable, uh, add some oxygen, keep the carbon in there to kind of stop the water from fouling in any way. I think you pretty much like. I think you could go up to three or four days, no problem. Yeah, I, I, you know? I actually, I think you've done the same thing, but I've done some experiments where I, I did an experiment where um, I, I, I had a whole bunch of variables in play, but I did um, I, first I did the um, drilling a hole 
drilling holes, a couple of holes in the box when you're using a heat pack to see if that yeah. makes a difference in terms of letting the oxygen, because those heat packs won't work unless they have oxygen. So the theory is, breathe, yeah. the theory is that um, you want to get oxygen circulating in and out of that box with a heat pack so they can um, be activated and stay uh, activated. So I, I, I did some experiments around that. I did some experiments around the use of oxygen, using oxygen, not using oxygen, using activated carbon and not using activated carbon. Um, I even experimented with using, uh, you know, molded foam boxes versus uh, foam inserts. And mm. what I found in that was pretty interesting. It was like, it really didn't make that big of a difference. I think it was a one degree temperature difference between mm. the molded um, foam versus the, uh, the foam inserts so yeah. at that point you just go with the cheaper option yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you know yeah um yeah so it's a uh it's interesting but yeah i think you did the same thing right in terms of drilling holes and, and kind of yeah around did, a little bit and seeing what happened i did a mock-up experiment so i i poked holes and i basically just used a bag of water uh packed it and i poked holes in one well this is after i activated the carbon or the heat pack for about an hour so it was starting to get warm yeah uh and so i poked holes in one no holes in the other. And after 24 hours, it was like a nine degree Fahrenheit difference. The one that had the holes in it was nine degrees. That's a big longer. difference, man. I didn't, I didn't yeah. see that big of a difference in my experiments, but um, I, de I definitely saw a few degrees. Um, yeah. Great Bearder Reef, um, Paul. Yeah. Do you just sprinkle some carbon in the bag with the uh, with the coral? I mean, that's what I do. I, yeah. I just yeah. a couple of granules uh, totally. of, um, of carbon. Um, what else did I do? I was going um, I was going to mention... There was um, something else that um, it'll it'll uh, it'll hit me, but there's there's so many different um, variables in play, and I think probably the temperature is maybe the biggest variable. And, and like you're saying, it's it's a little tricky because if you're if you're um, you know shipping from a place, you know, like today, I shipped um, a box to um, Las Vegas. So, hmm. you know, and it's going to be lows of 40 degrees in Vermont and it's going to be, yeah. you know, a high of like mid 80s in, in, in Vegas. And I even look at the, uh, you know, the, the hub, the, the UPS hub in between where it's going to kind of be hanging out overnight to hmm. see what the, uh, the temperatures are. But, you know, it's, yeah, like, it's tricky. That might, that might be a scenario where you don't want to poke the holes because you want the heat pack to just kind of fade out in the first little chunk of the shipping. And then by the time it gets there it's not doing anything anymore so i don't know it's uh <laughs> it's, an art it's form really it's sure. it is an art form because you don't know where the boxes are hanging out you know are they yeah. hanging out like in a in a kind of a warehouse that's below the mm -hmm. average temperature or the high i don't know you know is it it's a you know of course then on the receiving end when it's going into a hot area and it's bump you know riding in a uh, bumpy uh, delivery truck that could be really very hot then i think what you said is a very good idea, which is to try to have those packages held at a uh, customer center so you can kind of mm -hmm. avoid that last leg of the trip. Yeah, totally. But um, yeah, so it's a, uh, it is a, uh, it is an art form and mm -hmm. it can be, um, can be very much of a, a science. It's like growing acros, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's an important thing for keep people to keep in mind when you're buying coral, like, Buying from experienced shippers is, um, you know, there's a reason like we may charge a little bit more for certain things or whatever, but, um, you know, that extra experience that goes into shipping is going <laughs> to give you such a better chance of arriving living corals. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. So, um, 
What was I going to say? All right. So the the other thing that um, I mentioned is, you know, in, in terms of having a, a live stream podcast, you're starting to do that now yourself. And and these are very interesting conversations. I always, you know, say, say to my guests before uh, shows like, you know, listen, I just want to have an organic conversation. I uh, have a lot, you know, curiosities. I want to try to learn something. So I'm just going to try to try to, you know, ask the questions that are on my mind and, and um, you know, incorporate whatever we can from from the viewers but you know you do talk to a lot of people that have um a lot of experience and a lot of different expertise you know that uh you're you're coming across and, and it's not a lot of the same kind of opinions there's a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of difference of opinions and how to do certain things but how have you um found it so far in terms of the uh, the podcast so, have you yeah. uh, been intrigued by some of the um the methods and the theories that some of your guests are, are employing and have you actually thought about trying some stuff? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it's like we're kind of always collecting data. You know, these conversations are just, you know, data we're collecting and, and comparing. And um, I was I just had Adam from Battle Corals on last week and uh, we, we called the episode The Battle of the Atoms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we were really trying to find some things that we did differently. Uh, and one of the things I mean, I've been big on uh, elevating pH. Um, mm you know, the last couple of years, especially like using Kelk. Um, and Adam doesn't really pay a ton of attention to it. He runs calcium reactors. He used Kelk for a while and he said he didn't think things looked better with it. Um, so he's kind of running like a lower pH range. And I was like, well, I mean, your corals are growing fast. So, um, you know, if, if that's working for you, then that's great. Like I, you know, I, I've noticed faster growth with higher pH. I mean, yeah, you probably me too. feel yeah. the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing uh, that's come up with a couple people's systems is uh, no live rock in the systems at all, um, which I think is interesting because it kind of goes to show that like the biology of the tank can be kind of functional just from the corals and the fish and say the surfaces of the glass and the racks. And the other part of it, too, is like if you're trying to eliminate an issue in the system, um, you don't have to look at the live rock as a possible cause for the issue. Like if mm. it's say leaching or absorbing something, um, you know, collecting detritus or whatever, like you kind of, you're able to eliminate that factor kind of in the same way as not having a sand bed. So no sand bed, no rock, like all you've got is water, coral, fish, whatever inverts are in the tank. Um, and you know, your bacterial biome, um, you know, it, it's kind of the process of, elim- of elimination kind of gets a little more simplified. So I like that idea. But am I about to pull out all my live rock? I don't think I would do that. I'd probably take a few pieces out, see how things do, remove a bit more, give it some time. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of um, that seems pretty radical to me to not to to, to <laughs> yeah. utilize live rock. I think, um, you know, over the years, live rock has always been a very important part of my uh, success, I think. But, you know, listen, it's it is not a uh, cookie cutter thing in terms of there's one way to do uh, reef keeping. So. Yeah, I think, um, and, and so do those folks uh, dose bacteria? Are they dosing bacteria on a constant basis? Um, I don't think either of these two people were big on dosing bacteria. No, I don't believe so. Hmm. So, uh, and regular water changes. I think both of these people had weekly water changes, 10 to 15% yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 No, I don't know. I mean, not for me, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say if you're going to, uh, if you're going to try to do an experiment like that, then do it like what you're talking about. Take it slow. Yeah. 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 Take it, yeah, take it totally. slow. But, um, 
So what else is uh, what else has been going on with the uh, the tank in terms of major changes for you, or systems I should say? You have how yeah. Many, so just remind everybody how many how many systems, gallons, and tanks that you you actually have in the garage. So I probably have about a thousand gallons in the garage. I feel like that's kind of what I can manage really well, just as like a one person business. Yeah. Um. So I have uh, SPS system that's about 350, 400. LPS system that's about 400 and then another that's about 150, 200 kind of thing. Uh, and then I also collaborate with the local fish store where I have, uh, I actually have a 10 foot display in that store. Right. Uh, so that's kind of my display tank. It's, it's uh, available for the public to enjoy. <laughs> it's 10 feet by three feet by 18 high. Uh, it's pretty shallow. It's a, it's a really nice footprint though. Um, yeah, I should actually post some pics of that tank. I kind of yeah. It doesn't get as much love as my home systems do. So, <laughs> um, but it's a it's a wicked tank for sure. So, if anybody's in Victoria, BC, you can check it out at Blue World Aquariums. It's a really great little local fish store that I I sell frags there too. So, cool. Yeah. Um, Polo one one two six. Thank you so much for that super chat. Two of my favorite reef podcasters. Here's my weekly oh. down payment towards your Purple Monster layaway program. <laughs> <laughs> do you have the uh, Tyree Purple Monster? I did at one point, but this was probably like 10 years ago. Um, yeah, there was a guy in Toronto that brought in a lot of really, really cool, really nice corals. The DV are the pieces. And I still have a lot of DV pieces. Uh, Daryl Vanneker, he was a tank of the month back in the day. Okay. I think that's his name. Um, but he got the purple monster somehow. And I, yeah, I had, it was one of those things where I had, had it for six months and then it kind of started taking off. And then one day I just looked at it and it was, it was white. <laughs> but, it's 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 crazy yeah. because you know it's such a slow growing coral. I don't I don't know if it's like a, a difficult coral in the, in the sense in terms of you know keeping it um, from 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 bleaching out or whatnot. But I think just the the tough part is that it's just it takes so long to grow, and you know a lot of things can happen over time. So yeah. and it's not an easy coral to frag either. You know I mean that's that's something I frag with a bandsaw. Yeah, I think it's kind of like I think one of your guests on the show mentioned this one time is like the difference of a coral like that versus like a Acropora millipora where it's like there's so many polyps comparatively compared to these just little tiny white polyps on the on the purple monster. Like it probably just doesn't have the the ability to grab stuff from the water like and yeah, right. literally just cannot grow as fast. I mean, the conditions it, it, it's found in is, are completely different too, probably. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's definitely a, um, a good point. But uh, yeah, it is a, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of my favorites. It's, it's just, uh, it's something I've, I've, man, when I started reef keeping a long time ago, it was like a, 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 I got a frag and then I got a larger colony. Actually, I got like a mini colony from somebody like years ago. Oh, don't, don't tell anybody that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And, uh, <laughs> But they uh, they grew pretty good for me, and and then yeah. um, you know even under halides. But I was running like um, magnetic ballast, not the electronic ballast that I'm running now with yeah. my uh, my halides. Are you are you all uh, LEDs at this point? Uh, and still running T5s. I, I like to call it the T5 training wheels. Um, <laughs> so I use uh, Aquatic Life hybrids. So there's four. Yep. 80 watt t5s on each of my sps tables yep um and i only run them three hours a day so it's kind of like my my midday peak uh and it really kind of saturates all of those like little inner parts of the acros so the light's really hitting every part of the coral and i think that's really important i think yeah i mean a leds have gotten a lot better and the diffusion is a lot better so i think um you know especially the xr 30s where you got the two clusters together and you get a lot of crossover 
Um, but I'm just running 15s. So I run 15s, Orfec bars, Reef Bright bars, T5s. It's just a whole bunch of different stuff. But uh, and and spe- give me results. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna show what the uh, the fruits of those labors uh, have, have been because we're gonna be talking a whole bunch of uh, kick-ass corals in your uh, system here, Adam. But in terms of spectrum, what do you uh, what do you kind of like in terms of your spectrum with all those uh, blended lights together? Yeah, it's hard to say like what, like I would say when the T5s are on and when the peak of the day of my Radeons is up, like the whites are at 100% on the, but the Radeon blues, the G5 blues. I have some of the G6s too. I don't like them very much. The white channel's a little too wimpy, but uh, I would say it's like a 20K kind of look like with the yep. T5s on yep. um, and the, you know, but I just enjoy all parts of the day. You know, some corals obviously look better under blue LED. Some are, uh, you know, better under that daylight spectrum. Obviously, the blue corals look better under white. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's there's a, there's a time of the day for everybody. <laughs> yeah, Mitch uh, McClintock uh, comments. Uh, just going back to the Tyree Purple Monster Lake, great Mr. Adams had a brief builder article back in 2015 where they tried to find the original colony in the Purple Monster. Worth the read. Yeah, there. I actually. Yeah, that was super cool. I, yeah. I actually, um, I linked to that uh, article in a in a blog that I did um, a little while ago. But uh, I think. The gist of that story is that they did go on a mission. I think it was with Triton, Unique Corals, yeah. and, and Reef Builders, Jake. And and uh, they went on a mission to the Solomon Islands to try to find that original purple monster. And they did collect something that looked pretty similar, mm-hmm. as well as, I think, some blue monster. But um, I believe Jake's conclusion was, was without a, a, a DNA test, they wouldn't be able to connect it to the original yeah um purple monster but so that's it that's probably floating around out there too that that what was collected out there yeah i mean and that's an interesting thing that makes you think a little bit is like are there corals that we have in the hobby now that don't exist in the wild anymore Mm -hmm. like if if it was such a rare strain and it was in this little small geographical area of the solomon islands um you know it's possible that that coral you know you or i could have corals in our system where that particular variant and strain you know just doesn't exist anymore so uh, reason to keep the hobby going <laughs> well yeah you know i um <clears throat> a while ago i had i had um, somebody from the living coral biobank i believe is what it's called from uh, from australia and they're basically mm-hmm. the um the purpose of that organization is is to bank corals to grow out corals and to bank those corals in case um you know they need to be reseeded into the uh, mm-hmm. into the reefs around the world so that's um yeah I know one thing that's going on, but more stuff like that would be really cool. And I think what um, yeah. they were also looking for was hobbyists to potentially bank some wild corals too, which is yeah. pretty uh, yeah. pretty neat. Well, it's interesting too. I think Vincent Chalius was saying that some of the best sort of reef building and most important corals on the reef are not the kind of corals that we collect in the hobby. Mm. Like they're usually the uglier corals, you know, right. <laughs> well, by our standards. <laughs> so, you know, I, I saw that video of the the coral bank and I was like, yeah, there's a lot of kind of brown kind of favia moon coral kind of, you know, bouldery type corals, um, you know, which wouldn't. Yeah, it's, it's an acquired taste as far as the reef hobbyists, but um, I still think they're really cool, but obviously important for the ecosystem. So, yeah, 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 yeah no, for sure. Um, so we, we were talking a little bit about bacteria before in terms of the, uh, the live rock and whether or not those folks use, uh, or dose bacteria. What about yourself, man? Are you, um, are you dosing bacteria on a regular basis? Yeah, I, um, I have put some bacteria in my tanks every once in a while just to kind of ensure that 
the biome has some of the strains that we want. And I kind of say that in in quotes because, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if we know 100 percent what all of the best strains are. We know what some of the bad strains are. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm really interested to see how Eli and this aquabiomics will kind of uh, develop a clearer picture of things as more data comes in. Um, you know, I think supporting that service is, and I'm being a bit of a hypocrite because I haven't tried it yet, uh, <laughs> but supporting that service is just going to make it better and better and better. It's kind of like, uh, you know, 23andMe or Ancestry.com wouldn't work if yeah. a lot of people didn't submit their DNA. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to get better and better. And it might get to a point where we really kind of know what's going on with, um, you know, a healthy reef tanks biome. And uh, it'd be great if we had some test strips or there's certain things like the Vibrio strains, like if we had a way to test for some of those strains, uh, that would be super useful, I think. Have, have you ever had bouts of, um, you know, coral pathogens in any of your uh, tanks or systems over the years? Yeah, I mean, I kind of my theory is that like most of the time when you lose a coral, unless you can kind of correlate it to some, you know, particular event, um, I think most of the time it has to do with bacteria. I think when everything else is doing well, and something just starts to go like a acro peels or you know brown jelly disease which is not a disease it's a, really a syndrome starts to develop on say a polyp of a torch or a hammer or something um i i often think it's just yeah it's there's there's bad mojo going around your tank and sometimes it just it gets in the wrong place at the wrong time and and has a the ability to proliferate so I, yeah i think adding some of those good strains of bacteria um is beneficial um I actually have one thing which might be useful to some people. Uh, I had dinos in my system at the shop uh, for about three or four months. Tried UV. I didn't have the free swimming type. Oh, yeah, UV is um, not going to work too well then. Yeah, but uh, I dosed uh, the Tropic Marin Nitribiotic, oh. I think is the name of it. And uh, the dinos were gone within, like, I'd say almost gone in a week and completely gone in two weeks. Whoa. Yeah. So, I mean, it was the only thing I changed other than just like, you know, the regular things I was doing, like siphoning it out, doing water changes, but it would always come back. So like I can, that's the only thing I can attribute to that, um, to that strain. What, uh, what was so, going on with that tank? What do you think brought that on? I mean, it's always like some sort of imbalance, I think that causes the dinos or, yeah, or a young tank. It, no, it was, um, it was an imbalance and it was because that tank always ran super high nutrients. Like it ran, uh, nitrates 25 to 30 phosphates were probably in a good ratio to that, but they would be like 0.2 to 0.3. Uh, so I actually added uh Chato to the sump and a Kessel grow light. Uh, so I kind of turned the sump into like a, you know, an algae reactor or yeah, like yep. a refugium. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, my nutrients went down and when the nutrients went down, the algae exploded. Hmm. So that, I mean, that's an interesting like statement because it's like, you know, even though the nutrients were higher, the tank was at a balance that it settled in at that balance. And, and it, some, most corals did really well in that system. I just thought like, you know, that seems a little high, yeah. <laughs> you know, I should bring it down. Yeah. So, um, yeah, dinos happened. I stopped doing the Chato, um, probably, yeah, I mean, I probably stopped it quite a bit before I got rid of the dinos. So the nutrients were already back up by that point, but. Um, yeah, I, I think that's important to like, sometimes just let a system, you know, unless the nutrients are wildly high and coral will not survive, um, you know, systems will kind of find their base point 
like where they kind of where the biology kind of functions well and and that's just the whole patience of the hobby right like yeah uh this is an interesting question from nsb reese because i've tried several things and not exactly sure they've worked but uh speaking of dinos what do you guys do to condition your egg crate Mm, yeah, I've thought about this. Uh, so yeah, I would get dinos on egg crate when I swapped it and I tried. So every time I do a water change, I have these 60 gallon barrels that I um, keep my last water change water in in case of emergency or whatever, just so I have some water that's the same as the tank. Uh, so I put a bunch of racks in there uh, and then I added them to the tank, hoping that there would be sort of a bacterial film on them by that point. But I still got an algae cycle, still got dino cycle on them. So um, to be honest, I'm not using egg crate anymore. I've got the last few pieces in there, but I've been swapping for acrylic and I never get a cycle on acrylic. Yeah, I, I did the exact same thing. I, I, for a long time, tried to condition my egg crate. I tried to soak my egg crate in the sump, in a sump or something like that to try to just get some sort of biofilm, you know, some sort mm -hmm. of thing built up on the uh, on the egg crate. But it was always just um, no matter how long I would soak it or try to condition it, when I put it under that light, it would always just be a um, an algae magnet. And yeah. it's such a pain in the ass to clean. You know, I mean, A-crate's got just a lot of nooks and crannies and stuff like that. So then I um, I was like, you know, the hell with that, man. I'm like, I, I don't want I, you know, I didn't want to like keep breaking out my power washer every uh, few weeks to, <laughs> yeah. to clean like a whole bunch of different A-crates. So I just transitioned to... Um, to acrylic uh, frag racks. I'm, I'm using the um, the racks from, do you know Luna Reef, those racks? Yeah, I got some Luna Reef racks. Yeah, yeah. they're great. And, uh, they're great. Yeah, building an obsession, I got some racks from as well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, awesome. So, and, yeah. and they're really easy to clean too. I mean, mm -hmm. if you got some stuff on them that you need to clean off, it's not like you got to go outside and take the power washer to them and stuff like that. I'm pretty much no. I'll go to my slop sink yeah. and uh, just take a little, um, you know, scrub brush and boom, slides yeah, right totally. off. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so it's, um, it's interesting, but in, in terms of the bacteria, I, you know, my, my conversation with, with Kenneth last week from, from Hydrospace LLC was interesting. And I thought what was most intriguing to me was the, um, the, the potential benefit of bacteria being a probiotic to, to, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, um, be on the offensive in terms of trying to, um, not be in a position to have coral pathogens impact that reef, but to, to try to, to promote more healthy microbiome and better balance and to try to, I, I guess it's not out-competing the, uh, the pathogens, but it's just kind of giving them less room to flourish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that, you know, that product, it sounds like it becomes food for the coral, whereas... Um, you know, my understanding is that most corals, they don't really take in nitrates as food directly. They take in bacteria that, that carries those nitrates and, and phosphates. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's a really promising product. I mean, if you look back to like, say the Zeovit system, you know, how that system kind of functioned was it was super low nutrient, but you were providing, uh, a bacteria food for the corals. So instead of getting uh, their energy from their zooxanthellae, well, they're still relying on that to, a, to an extent, they're getting a lot of their energy from the bacteria that they're feeding on. So this might just be a kind of a better way to do it. Um, you know, the, the, you know, the only, you know, the only thing for me, you know, and, and for you too, I mean, you're, you're actually, I've got about, um, 800 gallons of, of total 
you know, volume from mm -hmm. both of my systems, you've got about a thousand gallons. It gets expensive. You're dosing mm -hmm. bacteria on a, on a daily basis, which is what Kenneth was, uh, was recommending that can get pretty pricey. Yeah. Well, at least his, uh, his kit is like, it treats 8,000 gallons. So yeah. I feel like that should last a while, <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. Dude, do the math. It's not, uh, it's not as cheap as you would think. You know, yeah. I mean, 8,000 gallons. So that could give you like, um, what, eight weeks or something like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of more into just the mode of like, yeah, put a little bacteria from do use some from different companies. I don't know, just switch it up and put some in sometimes it's, it's probably, it's probably not going to do anything bad unless your nutrients are like rock bottom. Like it's probably just gonna, you know, give you a little like more diversity of hopefully some of the strains of bacteria that, um, you know, benefit your system. So yeah. Do you, uh, use uv i have been using uv um actually probably since the last time i was on that, that uh, this is something I, relatively new yeah um i can't really say it's done anything i like i don't know um right yeah uh i might turn them off i just kind of wanted to try it for a while and um you know like yeah, maybe I'll turn it off for a while. Maybe you convince me. <laughs> Try well, it I'm, off for six I'm months. running UV. I mean, I'm, I've been back and forth on this, you know. I, uh, yeah. I ran UV for a while. Then I stopped running it. Now I'm running it again. You know, I, I had um, Steve Wiest on, and, and he was um, he did the same kind of experiment. He was running UV, and then he turned UV off. And then he did a microbiome test, and it came back that um, he had some cyano that was never, ever in a microbiome test before. You know, he... He, he didn't see any visible cyano, but just the fact that it appeared in his report kind of freaked him out. And um, mm -hmm. I think also the, um, the the thing that I like about UV is that it's 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 a good preventative measure for the free-floating dinos if, um, mm -hmm. if that's something that potentially can um, pop up. I mean, as for being a thing to help prevent fish disease, that's certainly not going to be the cure-all, but I guess it can help in, in certain with certain diseases yeah if you're adding i mean my fish population is kind of a set thing but uh one thing i would actually think it probably has a negative impact on is some of your microfauna in the tank that's breeding on a regular basis and and you know that's some of your best coral food too so um yeah right you know and and, and i know that um you know from from what i've seen with my microbiome uh, reports and talking to eli is that um it does impact the microbiome. I mean, there is a certain profile that you will see with a uh, a tank that runs UV that you're not going to mm -hmm. see with a tank without UV. So there's going to be a more a uh, diversified um, bacteria population versus mm -hmm. you know for tanks that are not running UV versus tanks that are running uh, UV. But you know you, you got to like just uh, it always comes back to the way the corals look and how the corals um, react to to certain things and. Yeah, you know, so if, if you see some benefits with the UV or maybe you're not seeing any benefits, but there's just, you know, the same in terms of before UV, yeah. after UV, then I guess it's... I would be curious if um, the systems that were running UV still had a good amount of some of those, like, you know, desirable strains of bacteria. You know, were some of the ones that were missing, uh, some of the ones he considered to be, uh, like, common in healthy systems? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know. We just need to get more more information on this stuff. It's uh, I think it's going to be awesome once the picture is clearer. But right, it's uh, yeah. and and you the last time we uh, I think spoke in terms of the live stream, you um, I think you had talked about using ChemiClean, right? Yeah, yeah. And what was your um, experience again with the ChemiClean? So I actually treat ChemiClean a couple times a year. Um, no cyano in my system. Um, I just, yeah, I do find that it's a little bit of a bacterial reset and things look better afterwards. I've never seen anything look worse afterwards. Really? I think, you know, one of the only reasons uh, maybe some corals might be irritated from the micro bubbles. Um, so do as much as you can to sort of, um, like if you have sump baffles and you can put some filter floss in there, um, that helps. Um, but yeah. Uh, I don't see any problem with it. I mean, you, you said you have a little bit of cyano that you've been kind of fighting and I know you're pretty resistant to running yeah. chemicals, yeah. uh, but honestly, like I, I really don't think you have anything to be concerned about. Um, but you know, something that would be good data for, uh, aqua biomics would be to do a before and after, um, if you were going to consider it. Yeah. Um, I had a guest on that did that. He did a, a pre post, um, Aquabiomics test with ChemiClean, and it definitely impacted the microbiome. I think that's that's mm. certainly something that, um, based on what's in that product, that that that's a um, a pretty reasonable expectation is that your microbiome probably will be uh, will be impacted. But I guess it also depends in terms of how the um, you know you 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 go about doing that treatment. I think a key one key is to make sure that all the cyano is as much cyano mm -hmm. as possible siphoned out of the system because if it's not, then that could potentially be a, uh, a negative. Huge nutrient spike. Yeah, right. totally. Right. Totally. I mean, any treatment like fluconazole as well, any treatment that's going to, you know, chemically treat a bunch of algae in your system that's feeding on nutrients, like get as much of it out before you treat, obviously. It's, Seems like a no-brainer, but I hear about people crashing tanks yeah, here and there. Yeah, I know, which is things, sort of so. scary. Now, yeah. you know, have you used uh, fluconazole for biopsis? Uh, yeah, I have, and I have not seen anything bad happen. Um, but like I said, I've seen people crash tanks before from just not pulling enough out ahead. And kind of, it's it, you know, I think maybe not really quite uh compensating enough for how much is actually there. You know, it's the same thing with, say, the flatworm exit for those red planaria flatworms it's like it's like yeah you might think you have just like a reasonable outbreak but there's probably way more than yeah. you think so yeah um yeah so things like that need to be uh research taken slowly and really well prepared for like always prepare more water change water when you're doing something like that make sure you have more water than you think you needed yeah I, i'm guilty of this all the time yeah you know <laughs> yeah so uh john wright isn't cyano always in your systems even though you don't see it i think yeah i think that is uh, i'd say that's true that's true mitch yeah. mcclintock uh, says pretty much it's one of the oldest most successful organisms on the planet and it's airborne um and uh i think that's also the same Julian Sprung has said this about bryopsis. Pretty much every tank has bryopsis. I, I think there's just a lot of, I think also, um, or maybe he, maybe he said uh, dianos. I, I can't recall. But I think all those um, dianos, bryopsis, cyano, they're pretty much going to be present in every reef tank. It's just a matter of what level they're at and, yeah. and in terms of uh, making an appearance and, and being problematic. Yeah, and I mean, isn't um, zooxanthellae like a, 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 a type of cyanobacteria or dinoflagellate? I think it's like in the, that family. It's a dinoflagellate, um, right. which is kind of a like, you know, when we're doing all these treatments to get rid of dinos, it's, it's kind of a bit of an ironic, <laughs> an ironic thing in a system full of coral. So, yeah.
So, yeah. man, you um, you said before we went on on the uh, the live stream tonight that you've done a couple of different uh, things since you were on the last time, and one was well, yeah, I guess UV was one of them, um, mm-hmm. but there was a couple others. Uh, talk talk to us about that. Some of the new things you've been doing. Yeah, so I kind of got on the calc train um, probably about a year ago, uh, and I didn't want to go full Chris Meckley. Sorry, Chris. Um, <laughs> but I did take that, uh, 6.5 grams per gallon in your calc reservoir, um, as a, as a base point. Uh, cause I like the idea of not having something super saturated, like a slurry or, or a calc stir, um, where like, you know, if something was to go wrong, like, and for some reason, say my entire calc reservoir emptied in my tank, it's probably going to be safe. <laughs> um, also, like I'm, I'm kind of doing a hybrid system. I run calcium reactors. I dose like a bowling method, and I run calc. So I basically what I did is I just turned off the calcium reactor at night, and I started dosing. I think I do like 12 to 15 mils a minute of of my calc at night uh, for like 12 hours. And uh, I mean, I can just say for sure my corals grow way faster with the elevated pH. Like, there's no question. It's uh, yeah. You know, I also just find like I, I haven't had as many random RTN events with SPS. Like, um, I think things just seem more resilient overall um, because I think some of that bad kind of mojo, bad, the, the bad, bad pathogens and things like that, they seem to sort of strive in those lower pH environments. Mm. Um, so that elevated pH is kind of ensuring um, just sort of just just a better overall chemistry, I think, for your tank. So. Yeah, so that was that was one thing. I guess the other thing I've been kind of paying a little bit more attention to trace elements and doing ICPs more regularly. Um, and honestly, I don't know if things are way better. Like I've, <laughs> I have been making the adjustments. Um, you know, I'm not going like full moonshiners or anything like that. I, I you know, I I do the the ICPs once a month and I, I make the adjustments. Uh, the things that are low on a regular basis, I will add you know, a few drops or a mil or two here or there up until the test. Uh, but I don't have it down to like that completely mathematical who's, um, um, science. Whose traces are you using? Um, so I'm using the Fauna Marin uh, ICPs. I think they're really good. Uh, yeah, because there's the Reef ICP, which is pretty cheap. Uh, the only thing is it doesn't test fluoride. Hmm. Um, so if you want to get the fluoride, you have to do the total. And then, but the total has the the RO test as well. So, um, yeah, and are actually the North American distributors in Toronto. So I get like really fast turnaround on those ICPs. I ship them on Monday and I get my results on Thursday. Nice. The same week. So yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. That is yeah. pretty good. Um, yeah. So what are you, uh, like, what are you dosing in terms of different elements? Do you know off the top of your head? Um, so yeah, a couple things have been high lately and, that's kind of got me to question. Uh, one of the products I've been using is uh, uh, Flatworm Stop, Zeobit Flatworm Stop. And there's actually a discussion on uh, the Moonshiners Facebook page uh, where like Andre Mueller gives some pretty good information about it. But he probably still doesn't know because that company is so secretive and pisses me off. But uh, <laughs> um, the, the, the idea is that it's kind of this wormwood mix with a few other trace elements. And I, I think it has a Fair, if you're dosing a fair amount regularly, it has iodine in it. Um, and my iodine has been uh, elevated lately. And a few corals that aren't even particularly difficult to keep haven't looked so good um, for me lately. So 
Um, and my iodine's not wildly high. I think the range is uh, 0.06 to 0.08 um, is the, and that's in, what is it? Yeah, micro micrograms. Uh, and mine was sitting at, uh, 0.11, 0.12. Listen, I was, I was doing the same thing you were doing. I was dosing that flatworm stop and my iodine levels were, uh, were elevated. And I do believe that was a reason why my, uh, I had my episode of RT and STN in my, uh, my peninsula tank, you know, so be careful with that product, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, that's a thing. And I mean, I, I've been kind of wanting to write this letter to Zeovit as like an open letter. I'll I'll start a petition. I'll get people to sign it, but (laughs) I think it's time for that company to be transparent with what's in their products. Like, you know, it doesn't really, they don't give us the ability to like, to learn from what we're using. Like if it just says like a blend of trace elements, like, like, well, if you're already dosing trace, like if you're already, if you already have, like if you're doing a balling system that has trace or, you know, whatever trace you may be adding, like, well then whatever's in that bottle is just going to be on top of that. And then you're going to end up with something elevated and you could have a problem. So, I mean, in that, in this case, I think that's what it is. Um, and then same with uh, the coral booster, I think has potassium in it. Um, so, and like a lot of products have potassium in them. So you got to be careful, right? Cause like, you know, depending on how much you're adding, if you're adding potassium nitrate to elevate your nitrate, um, you might end up with this wildly high, uh, nitrate level, which, or sorry, potassium level. So, uh, you know, I just say it, it's time for them to, to be transparent. And honestly, I'd be more likely to use their products if I knew what was in them. It's not like it would be like, Oh, the secret's out. Like everybody's just going to copy them now, <laughs> you know, I think, I think it's just like, we need to learn. We need to know what you're doing. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Bert Minshew is wondering what elements do you lose the fastest? So I guess what, mm. which ones get depleted the fastest for you and necessitate dosing? Yeah, uh, definitely iron. Um, I think iron just has so much like use for say the zooxanthellae and any, any algae in the tank, it, it gets picked up pretty fast. Uh, and then, uh, chrome is the other one that tends to be low for me. Chromium. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was noticing elevated levels of vanadium and manganese. Um, they were almost double what they should be in the test. Um, so it's another reason I stopped the flatworm stop. Flatworm stopped. (laughs) Uh, so we'll see if on the next ICP, if those levels have, have dropped. Um, it's, uh, yeah. it's taken a long time for my iodine levels to drop. I mean, it's taken like yeah. weeks and weeks. I've been doing like weekly ICP tests and it's, uh, it's been a slow road in terms of getting the, uh, the iodine levels to go down. Um, what about, uh, fluoride? Are you dosing that? Yeah, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. So fluoride is one of the ones that is always really low and, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, your conversation with Claude, I think you guys got into that a little bit, um, that was a great conversation, by the way, like oh, so yeah, much, yeah. so much good he's, info in there. He's a uh, very, uh, very, very, uh, bright, uh, <laughs> very so knowledgeable. Much, so much knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So fluoride, like, I mean, you know, the theory is that it's responsible for some of your blue pigments. Um, and also like the sort of, um, I don't know, the strength of calcification seems to be better, I think, um, with, with a solid fluoride level. So, um, and then has that relationship with, with iodine. I think as well, right? With some of those other, is it halogens? Right. I don't want to talk like I know anything about science. Iodine, bromide, and fluoride, (laughs) I think, are the halogens. Yeah, there's a relationship there. Um, And uh, yeah, no, I think it's important. Um, I I thought I was bringing my fluoride up to natural seawater level, and I was doing it very, very slowly and careful. 
carefully. And I, by the time I did my next ICP, it was back down to where it was before it. So yeah. um, I think if it's an element that I'm going to actually get into natural seawater range on a regular basis, I'm probably going to need to be dosing quite a bit of it. Remy, thank you so much. Bahama Lama Coral is in the house. Cheer, cheers, gentlemen. So, uh, Remy, text Moki and tell him to get into this chat so we could have another uh, little um, super chat war, all right? So, so. <laughs> yeah, super chat war. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Um, manganese is always low, especially in Ghani Port. Yeah, John Wright. That's true. Um, manganese is something that um, I've, I've dosed in the past, but I'm not dosing that. You know, what um, What I've learned through um, through Claude is that sometimes you can over-fertilize a reef tank by dosing too much, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was dosing like a lot of iron. I was dosing, um, you know, the iodine, the manganese, the, um, what else was I dosing? Cobalt. And he pretty much nickel. And he told me to cut yeah. all that stuff out. You know, mm-hmm. stop. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I'm getting zeros in the ICP test, he was like, mm. That's, um, you know, that's just something where you could potentially do more harm than good. And, and um, right, because a lot of ICP tests, you see zero, zero, zero for iron. And, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the assumption is you need to dose a lot of iron. So it's interesting. In yeah, regard. yeah. And a, another good point uh, Claude made was that we do get trace elements from our food. Um, so uh, and like dry foods will give you like a breakdown of, of what trace elements are in them. And, uh, yeah, like you'd be surprised actually, like some of the, the trace that's in just a dry pellet food that you feed the tank. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're always like, we're always adding trace in that way. And then depending on what method, um, are you calcium reactors or two part? I can't remember. I think Cal- you're two part calcium reactors yeah. and the calcwasser. Yeah. 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 And one, one of the fauna products that I use on, I have one system that just runs a calcium reactor and calc. Um, and I use their micro elements A and B, which is like a trace system yep. for systems that run calcium reactors. So it's kind of probably some of the trace elements that are in the coral tissue as opposed to what's in the skeleton. Because if you're using, say, Reborn as your reactor media, you're getting some of those, um, you know, harder trace elements out of that or major elements rather. Um, Jason Langer makes a good point. Iron is crucial for any algae based filtration. So, right. If you're running macro, Cato, um, you know, refugium, then you probably want to be dosing iron to help feed that macro. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. So, um, what about uh, coral feeding, man? Are you um, have you done anything different lately in terms of feeding corals? Do you directly dose any coral food, amino acids? What's your been um, routine of late? So actually, I was able to get some food that I used to get years ago, and it's a really great food, um, but it's not really sold commercially. It's actually uh, so I live uh, on Vancouver Island, and the Georgia Strait is kind of this like body of water that's between kind of Washington State. And Vancouver, and kind of where I am. You gonna say cyclopes? Cyclopes? <laughs> no, no. So this is uh, this is just marine plankton, oh. like the actual real plankton from the ocean. Wow. Um, so I have this plankton, and I so I feed that, and then I blend up uh, a bunch of uh, prawns, uh, salmon. I'll throw whatever I kind of see at the seafood section that kind of looks kind of, yep. <laughs> you know, like the tank might like it. Um, I also blend up uh, nori in there as well. Um, be careful. Nori is high in iodine as well. Mm, yeah. I don't feed a ton of it. So, right. you know, there's probably yeah. two sheets go into, you know, 48 ice cubes or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So I mix all the food together. Uh, I put it in ice cube trays 
And um, yeah, that's just how I feed. I mean, I don't target feed. Um, oh, I do put refroids in my mixture too. So the refroids go in every food cube as well. Um, so there's kind of something for everybody in there, you know, from corals to fish. Um, yeah, like I can't really be like, I know you can set up feeding timers so your flow can all turn down. I don't really have my pump set up that way. And like, I don't want to forget to turn something back on. So, <laughs> so I just let, let the corals fend for themselves full flow. It's fine. Rogue Aquariums, uh, Adam has some amazing corals and we're about to see some of his amazing, uh, corals. What about, um, Live Fido, have you ever used uh, Live Fido in your mix? Yeah, um, I was actually had a little attempt at starting to do rotifers and Fido, and uh, I was putting some Fido in the tanks. I didn't notice any differences, but I would imagine, uh, you know, other than I, I think that it can change your nutrients a little bit, I think that it's food for your um, microfauna. So I think it, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, it's, it's either going to do like something or like almost nothing or nothing, but it's not going to do anything bad. Yeah. Right? You know, Kenneth said that, um, a small percentage of what the corals do take in like acros, a small percentage, you know, would be like live phyto. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 13% or something yeah, like that. Right? I think he said, I, I think yeah. something like that. Yeah. And then I guess there's, um, a big part of it is the, uh, is the bacteria. Mm -hmm. what he was uh talking about but um i i used to do live phyto i haven't i haven't been doing the last um few months it's um it's a uh you know it's it's a bit of a uh it's a bit of a uh, chore in terms of yeah. um culturing it and cleaning the stuff every week and and all that sort of thing so you know it's uh what about the like new reef nutrition because they have like a phyto that's like a refrigerated bottle um does that kind of achieve some of the same I, you know, I, I don't know. I used to use the, um, the reef nutrition oyster feast and uh roadie feast years ago for my other, um, when I, when I had like a, a 225 gallon tank and that was the only tank in my systems, but it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for 800 gallons, I think for me, it's, it's probably a little bit, uh, too pricey mm -hmm. to do that on a, uh, on a regular basis. But I, I did have great results with it. I mean, at least it, it was it was part of my you know the equation. I can't say it alone was was um, a difference yeah. maker, but I it was kind of part of my thing, mm -hmm. which um, you know I was yeah. growing and coloring you, up coral, so it, it was it was part yeah. of that success. You do a thing that's working and you stick to it, and you know just keep going with it. I know Ray from Pirates Reef. When I talked to him, he uh, he he likes that uh, Fido Fido feast or the oyster feast. Right. Sorry. Yeah, he uses the oyster feast, but he feeds a lot of different food products. He's like a huge, huge, very varied amount of stuff. So, are you that kind of yeah. reef keeper that um, you know has like a certain methodology, like some base methods that you've been utilizing over the years, and that you just really like to stick to those, even though that you can't prove mm -hmm. that one of those, um, you know, each of the, each of those components is potentially success. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like. And I, and I fall into this thing too sometimes is that, um, you know, I do a bunch of things. I can't prove that certain things that I'm doing is, um, you know, contributing to the success, mm -hmm. but the, all the things together are successful. So I can't prove that certain <laughs> things are good and certain things are bad, but I just kind of stick to what I'm doing because it's not detrimental to anything and I'm having yeah. success. I mean, is, is that sort of uh, sum up what you yeah, sense. I think you and I probably agree on, on, you know, we've always had success running real live rock from 
you know, from like I've always, I have some of the old rock that I had from my first tank, like, you know, 22 years ago. And I've always started systems from real live rock and I've always had really good cycles. Um, and it, like, you know, can I prove? I, I don't know. I just think that like you have good bacteria from in that rock most of the time. And actually, I had a friend start a system um, and I convinced him, like, let's bring in a box of live rock. Um, we'll start your, your, your tank with this Fiji live rock. And uh, he didn't even really have a cycle. Like by the time the live rock cured and the tank was ready for corals, it was like just like gangbusters from the start. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of pity people that start tanks from dry rock. It, it, that scares me. Like, I, you know, if people want to ask me for advice about that, I got nothing to say. I say, <laughs> I'll say, here, do you want to borrow some live rock from my sump? You can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a really bad experience with that. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, I would say another thing. Yeah, and I heard about that, too. Um, I would say another thing that I has never worked for me is algae reactors or refugiums, like mm. nutrient export via macroalgae. Um, I don't know if I'm just a conservative fish feeder slash bio load person, but um, they, they've just never that's never been part of my methodology. But, you know, for some people, like if that's been the thing that's always worked for you, then then stick with it. And, you know, like it, it's fine. Like 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 you're saying, like the, the things that you do that make your tank successful, like there's nothing wrong with just sticking with what you know works. Um, you know, unless you have the means to say, try something experimentally, um, that you've never tried before, that's something totally different. I don't know. I mean, right. I mean, yeah. there, there's, there's certain things that you can point to in terms of improvements with a tank after you do something. I mean, and we talked about, uh, dosing the fluoride. I mean, one thing that I could tell after I dosed fluoride was a lot of my blues started popping and that was like the only yeah. change that I made to my tank. So that was like a concrete thing that I knew. When I started dosing fluoride, this was a result. I mean, it, it yeah. had to be. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Chris Wood uh, from Captivate about this and he was, I was like, well, you know, I don't want to have to send in like an ICP every time I want to know my fluoride. And he's like, well, you know, you could just like watch your blue corals and when they look like they can't get any more blue, you're probably, you probably have enough fluoride. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so the test kit is just the Cali tort or the Oregon tort, Yeah, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, I mean, my fluoride's been low and my torts, as we'll see in the video, are very blue. So I don't know. Maybe they're just absorbing it. Uh, Rob of State New York, thanks, man, for that super chat. Great chat. coming. Appreciate it. Ooh, and, 10 uh, bucks. You got some corals coming to you uh, tomorrow there, dude. A whole box nice. of corals. Um, hide, oh, Kenneth is in the chat. In the paper I referred to, 13% phyto was a maximum part of natural coral diets. Mm. Same paper suggested 0.3% as a minimum figure likely depends on mm. site species season etc question cool. mark yeah good to know um all right man let's like let's talk about some specific corals we talked a little bit about some specific corals but you uh you got quite the collection there um you know adam so let's uh should we start with the acropora spawning incident yeah we could let's start with that because yeah right. that video was um that was a pretty cool cool thing that happened last so i'm showing January. that uh that video there of the spawn okay yeah what's our lag is it like 15 seconds or like something? 20 23 seconds oh yeah like we're yeah we're like in the future for people <laughs> <laughs> yeah right the time machine <laughs> yeah so this video i um Obviously, I turned on some blue lights to get the videos while they were spawning, but I've had a spawn before and it was just a Cali tort. 
and it was the only coral that was spawning. And this is the first time I've seen a spawn where it was like 20 different corals spawning. Um, so I'm going to go, I'm going to check next year around the same week mm. and see if anything else, uh, if it happens again. Um, one thing that's kind of cool is the Fox flame put out some eggs too. So I, I don't know if, uh, I want to get that info to Jason Fox. Yeah. You can see them on the Fox flame there. What time um, of the, uh, the day was this? This was probably just after lights out. And it was mm. the same with my Cali tort, like a few years back. Um, actually there's an article on reef builders that I wrote about that. So, um, but, um, yeah, just after lights out and then, you know, sometimes you just go and check the tank before you go to bed. Right. And sometimes I'll shine a flashlight and I just saw little things floating everywhere in the tank. So, um, so I got this video and yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, nothing settled. I didn't see anything after the fact. Um, uh -huh. yeah, like I'm not, you know, that's a whole other aspect to it is getting the, the gamuts or whatever you, however you call it to actually settle down and find a place to, to grow from. But, um, yeah, it's definitely super cool to see. I mean, if a coral has enough energy to, uh, to, you know, produce, uh, to reproduce, it's probably pretty healthy. So it's a, it's a good sign. And it probably happens in more people's tanks than, than we know about. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I, I hardly ever, uh, come down to see my tanks after lights up because I'm usually like in bed. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, yeah. Who, who, who knows? Right. I mean, how many of these kind of events happen at home aquarium? Yeah. No, probably healthy systems. It probably happens, like like I say, way more often than we expect. But yeah, yeah. John Wright says Richard Ross seems to be having success with the uh, coral spawning. Yeah, he's got his coral mm -hmm. lab at home. Mm -hmm. um, all right, man. So let's take a look at some of these individual corals that you have in your collection. Now, this is a um, a video of the Aqua Delight versus the um, PB. Is that a pearlberry you're talking pearlberry, about? Pearlberry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so the first one is the Jason Fox Aqua Delight, and then the second one is the ORA Pearlberry. Is at least that's what it was sold to me as. Um, and I gotta say, like, I actually like the Aqua Delight a little bit more. Like, it's, it's just it's different because um, there's also a a piece that I have in my collection. The um, um, why am I spacing out on the Aqua Delight? Uh, the guy uh, who was named after. Um, Jason Fox? No, Sorry. no, there's another yeah. um Oh. Paul, you would know. It's a guy local in New England. Um why am I um spacing out? So it, it looks like a um it looks like a different uh, type of coral, but that Jason Fox Aqua Delight is is awesome. And the and the Ora Pearlberry, there's a lot of um there's a lot of imitations out there and that uh coral, yeah. I've gotten a lot of I've gotten a few frags that were sold to me as Ora Pearlberry, but they were definitely not. Yeah, and I think it's a coral that's like fairly variable too. Um, oh, yeah, like uh, I, Greg Hiller's Aqua Delight. That's what I was thinking about. Mm, uh, okay. yeah. yeah, Paul, you got it. There, just, Paul knew. <laughs> we, we knew at the same time, Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that the pearlberry I think is like one of the coolest corals if you can find the original. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, and mine's the strain that like some of us kind of guys in Western Canada here, like a, a few of us have had it for ten plus years, and and I'm pretty sure it's 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 the one, it's, it's the, the real right one. deal. So, yeah, you, yeah, you could tell. Yeah. You know, you could yeah. tell. Yeah, yeah, such a cool yeah. coral. I'm not sure the species on it. I remember seeing acros come in from Fiji that had a very similar look to them, um, but I don't know the country of origin. Um, so if anybody knows, that would be 
interesting species or or country of origin how are you getting a, a lot of your acros are you are you uh doing any importing at this point or are you doing pretty much uh just acquiring frags yeah i don't really do importing myself um there's some wholesalers that i kind of cherry pick from occasionally um i mean i did go to bali back in um february and i picked out some stuff um but uh i lost pretty much all the tenuous within the first oh, few weeks really um, and most of it, I think, is attributed to that green boring algae, or it could be something to do with the iron in the racks. Mm. Um, but yeah, I noticed in particular that if you have see a mariculture piece that does not look like it's actively encrusting on the base, it usually has a much worse chance of survival. I mean, you should bust it off the base anyways, but right. it's just I find that's a good indication if it's encrusting, then you know it means since it was fragged, it's actually growing um, and it's taken to the fragging well. So right. Um, yeah, but no, I'll occasionally bring stuff in, um, you know, and it kind of has to go through my quarantine process. Like, honestly, the last four months, I haven't really added anything. And I've just been kind of happily just like growing stuff. And <laughs> you know. what is your uh, yeah. what is your quarantine process? Um, so I have an LPS system that doesn't have any SPS in it. So um, the sump chamber is like the tank's big. It's like it's a nine foot tank. So the sump's like six by four mm. so i just made this huge chamber in the middle that's like another frag tank so um that's actually lit by an ati uh stratton which is a really cool light it's probably one of my favorite mm. reef lights actually i don't know if they make them anymore um but uh yeah the acros get rebased and they bake down there um and then they get dipped and they get inspected and once they kind of get past that phase uh, sometimes I'll either take the colony and rebase it again and move it to the main system or I'll just take a frag and move it to the main system. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a, like a one stage, basically, uh, quarantine system. I kind of like the idea of having a second stage, but, uh, you know, it's a, just about space and systems and maintenance. It's a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. yeah I got a one stage myself. It's, it's a, um, it's a 20 gallon, um, breeder tank whatever you want to call it that, uh, yeah. that I use. And, and, um, I just do the dipping and do some interceptor treatments in that and, um, you know, do it for at least, uh, 30 days and things look okay. Then potentially move it on. But, um, yeah, it's, I think, yeah, it's scary. Quarantine is good. Good to have at least that one level of quarantine. Yeah. In, in a, in, in, in your, um, series of systems so uh all right next up we've got the what's what's the cb birthday cake man that looks pretty oh yeah kick -ass. cornbread cornbread, cornbread okay. birthday cake yeah. yeah this one got into canada somehow so um i guess we're getting probably delay on this but uh yeah it's one of those aussie species that kind of tables i don't know if it's kind of a little bit like a microclados like strawberry shortcake type uh -huh. but uh it's got this kind of green fluorescent protein in the inner branches that's like yeah, super nice. That's really um, cool. It's definitely like a true like I would say like a quad color acro. It's pretty cool. Um, so that's been kind of one of my favorites. Yeah, that's late. That green in there looks pretty sick. Mm hmm. Um. Yeah, who was I uh, talking to about that? Um, that th there's a difference between splice corals and and a um, a protein infusion mm -hmm. type of um, thing that goes on. So I think it's, yeah, uh, yeah, or like grafted versus. Mm -hmm. uh, well, there are some videos in there of of some protein infections that I I sent. Right. I don't know if you want to put one of those up, but it's a good time to discuss it. But um, oh, the yeah. um, Nacropora. 
Which one? Um... Yeah, there's that one. So actually, that. Or should we look one. at the splice? Uh, we can look at the splice. Yeah. Okay. So my splice like turned all that yellow green color, and I was kind of bummed because I lost like I never had a lot of the red. But you'll see in the video that some of the red actually came back. And yeah. if you look like in the there's like a little macro part of the video where it shows like yep. really close up. Yep. Um, see that. The there's actually little speckles of red in the polyps. So yes, I think like even if you buy like a frag that's mostly that green yellow color, there's always a chance. Like see, yeah, those um those little speckles in the polyps there. So um it, yeah, there's definitely potential. Did so was that was that um, when when you acquired that piece? Was that a frag? Was that a a frag with both colors in it, or was that a frag with one color? It was a frag that I would say was ninety percent the yellow green. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to like anytime I see a little red reddish part of it offshoot, I'm going to frag that and kind of start it on its own, um, grow out, and hopefully I cultivate more of the red. Yeah. Um, Chris from ACI says Sanjay Splice was all green when he got it. Yeah, and and now it's like pretty freaking hmm. awesome in terms of having the cool. um, the red and and um, green. I I've, I've got a um, piece of the splice that was given to me as a um, all green frag, hmm. and I think I'm seeing hints of like some of the uh, the red come through, but nothing nothing like what Sanjay has. And yeah, you know, a lot of people say that when you get a one color frag of that splice that you're just not going to see that second color but i think sanjay proved them wrong and hmm. of course sanjay's a um very um you know he, he he's a special he's grown a coral or yeah, two he's a he's a he's a pretty special <laughs> reef keeper so if anybody can do it, yeah. it would be sanjay yeah um, and and my understanding of that coral is that it started as a red millie and it had the green fluorescent protein infection um and then jason at reef Raft, he he isolated you know, that one section of it that had the, the split and then kind of went from there. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that the green has ended up being the dominant color because it's not actually the original color. So, Chris from ACA, what are you saying there, Chris? I just got a frag and it one half dollar sign one half. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know. It definitely didn't cost half a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, those are pretty pricey. Uh, frags for sure well especially when you get the uh ones with both the uh, colors and cc blaze mm. of glory mm. yeah that's a cool piece that's an aussie uh species and i'm not sure um i'm not sure the species but it's an aussie piece and it's just like a color that i find not a lot of acros are because it's like a kind of like a pink peach red color and it kind of gets like these turquoise kind of tips too it's pretty cool Chris, so Chris says one half green, one half red. So that's what he's talking about with, with this mm -hmm. place. For just oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, so that's my other colony. I've got two colonies of it. So. That's that's really cool. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I missed the other. Uh, there was another um, grafted uh, coral. You're talking about mm -hmm. the um, an arachnopora here. Let's look at that one. Yeah, that's the reef raft. So it's like the goldenrod and the Jason Fox TNT, I think, came together somehow in Jason reef raft system. And I don't know if this was a protein thing or what, because anybody that knows the TNT, it's actually um, a finer branching an anacropora than the uh, goldenrod. It's like a much finer branch. Um, so they don't look like they would be the same genetically. So I don't think it's like a genetic splice. I think it's somehow like like a sharing of pigments or proteins. Um, 
that's caused that. So it's a cool piece, though. Yeah, for sure, man. That really is pretty. Uh, does it grow fast for you? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. all those in our yeah. board do, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, uh, doesn't actually. I haven't sold much of it. I don't, oh, it really? Keeps growing. Yeah. So if anybody <laughs> wants it, give you a deal. <laughs> Probably not a ton of it in the states either. So yeah, I haven't seen yeah. that around. Just hoarding it over here in yeah, Canada. Yeah, that happens sometimes, right? Sometimes you got corals that just don't sell for some reasons. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you know, we uh, as as coral sellers always get stuff that we think is really cool and interesting and uh, we think would be interesting to the customers. But sometimes there's corals that you bring into your collection that, um, you know, you kind of like lay an egg. Yeah. In yeah, terms of no, being able sure. to sell them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, no. Uh, and uh, that's one thing that's nice about my big display that's in the local fish store. Um, I just put, when I get a colony of something that's grown too big and it's kind of, Oh, nice. I don't know. Kind of regular. I just move it down there. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I should think about doing something like that. Um, what's GFP infections? Is that? Yeah. So green, 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 green fluorescent protein infection. So that's what we think is responsible for this refresh place. So I got a couple little spots of it that have, you know, appeared here and there in my system. So, um, yeah, let's wait for the delay that, to catch up here. Is that a, so uh, this is, a, I think this is a hyacinthus, Acropora hyacinthus. Okay. Um, it's from, came from a Jakarta supplier. And yeah, I just noticed that little green part. And then the second one is a uh, Terra Red, Worldwide Corals Terra Red. Uh-huh. And I got this little streak of it. I tried to isolate it and it did not become as prominent as I was hoping. The last one is a granulosa that's got just a few of these little specks of super neon in it. So... Um, yeah, I see it here and there, you know, so I think the trick is like, um, yeah, I think Kevin from top shelf was talking about this on your podcast is anytime he sees that he tries to, you know, kind of isolate it and, and get it down to it's like, you know, where you have a better chance of getting the color, the rarer color to sort of proliferate a little bit more um, from an early stage. I think you really have to be very observant and you have to act not quickly, but you just have to, you have to basically be proactive, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, do some grafting and try some stuff. And it sounds like it's not always going to be successful in terms yeah. of that stuff kind of taking. But I think the more you do that sort of thing, the better chances you're going to have of having some sort of success. Yeah. I mean, I thought that Terra Red would have um, grown out more of that protein. Because you can see in that video, the polyps actually have... Um, like some of the polyps are neon green. So you'd think that, um, but I don't know if it's just an infection in that part of the tissue. Maybe it's not, maybe it doesn't have the ability to spread. I'm not sure, but I would love to find a way to force this. Like I was talking to somebody recently about, um, you know, taking one of those super, super nuclear neon green corals and like, you know, blending or mashing a bit of it up and just like, <laughs> you know, basing it into your system. Like I've got this um, Acropora Florida that's, uh, um, it's, you know, one of the most toxic neon green things you, uh, that I have in the tank. And I'm like, I mean, that must be so abundant in those fluorescent green proteins that, you know, it, what are the chances that that could be accepted into another coral? Like, yeah, isn't that know? the, um, Chris Meckley would know this, but it sounds like you're describing the, um, Jake's, uh, toxic, yeah, it's exactly uh, like toxic yeah. Florida. Florida. It's exactly the same. Yeah. 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 It's a coral I've had for like probably 15 years or something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I got yeah. I got a frag from Chris, man. It, uh, it's freaking like burns the retinas. So bright. Yeah. It's definitely one of those corals that it's not expensive, but like it's a coral that from, you know, across the room, it catches your eye in the tank. So, yeah. 
um you know really, we love corals like that really cool stuff um any other uh splices or any other um infections protein infections or which is left with some standard uh <laughs> straight up uh well let's look at the uh the four seasons uh i sent this there right that's oh yeah that's, that's a, a cool bitch and bitch and coral mm -hmm. bright uh like pink tips and the green uh you know the polyps near the base of the branches yeah it's got this almost like gold orange like yeah. in some of the inner inner polyps the tips are actually kind of purple in person oh yeah yeah it's pretty cool it's a good good grower hardy um i think i sell frags for like I don't know, 50 bucks or something like that, Canadian. So it's not like a break the bank kind of coral. Yeah, it's um, a, it's a, you know. is it a fast growing coral? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I grew that colony in eh, probably since about June of 2021. So yeah, just over two years I grew, I don't know, what is it? 12, 14 inch colony is pretty big. And you, um, you don't have any, <laughs> and I frag it a lot. You don't too. have uh, display tanks per se in the garage, right? You pretty much have grow out tanks. Yeah, it's just grow tanks. My the hobby for me is enjoyed through uh, viewing viewing glasses and and yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But that's what I'm all, I'm all about the coral. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, I I enjoy my tanks that way. I think one day I will have a display again, but um in the house. Maybe in Yeah, the house. in the house. Yeah. In the house. Um it's you know, it's kind of nice in some ways to separate my life out a little bit like mm -hmm. you know, like the, you know, all of the reef stuff is just contained to this double garage that's kind of semi-attached to the house. So, um, you know, it's kind of got its own climate in there basically. Um and it keeps the wife happy. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm not, you know, lugging water or doing any stinky things with coral in the middle of the house. So, <laughs> yeah, I got the same setup. Yeah. I got in my basement though, so it's kind of like my own little sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, nice to have. Yeah. Um, home wrecker. So mm -hmm. this is a, um, you know, what, what, what do you think the key for this coral is? Because, um, you know, your, your colony is, is green, a lot of green in there. I've got a lot of green in, in, uh, in my yeah. colonies and stuff like that. But the, uh, obviously the coral lights and the, uh, the tips of the, uh, the branches are pretty amazing in terms of the color. Yeah. Like, and I've had better color on it before and I can't really tell you why, um, yeah, I actually want to look back to some of my older ICPs. Um, yeah, I actually think you get a little bit better color out of the home wrecker, at least from my experience. I've got a couple frags that are like in the kind of 250 range. Like this one's in a little lower par, and I think it looks a little better, um, the frag at the end of the video. Um, I think in the 250 range, 250 to 300, I almost kind of got better color than the 400 hmm. range. So that colony is around 400. Gotcha. Just as a reference. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I also don't think that like the best color in a coral is always indicative of the coral's health. I, 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 you know, I think it's for the most part, that's an indication of a coral's health. But, you know, sometimes like I think a coral might look the healthiest when it's a little bit darker. And I don't know, like, you know, it's not always going to be the case that the, the all ideal color is your healthiest state. Yeah, who, who, who knows, right? I mean, there's just so many different things that come into play in terms mm -hmm. of um coral health and coloration um yeah the home record is interesting though i've, I've had um yeah i it, it's um I've, ha I've got a couple of large colonies under halides i've got a um a nice um little mini colony under uh, leds in one of my display tanks so it's a um definitely shows different characteristics depending on yeah. on what kind of par it's getting which did you find you kind of got the best results for color uh leds 
Yeah, I think. And, and it's probably more it's... par actually for the um, under the LEDs. Yeah. I wonder though, like if you took the coral from the halide system and put it under the LEDs, like if it's just like optically, it like will look better. That's you know? uh, that's that's true too, right? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to run a spectrum that's close to what the uh, the halides are. It's it's not exactly the same thing, but um, mm -hmm. it is a little bit mm -hmm. more. There is more of a blue spectrum under my LEDs than what I'm getting out of the uh, the halide. So that could certainly be part of the, part of that um, equation. Mm -hmm. um what is a lat latistella did i pronounce that correctly oh latistella yeah latistella. yeah so the sort of like Candyland is kind of a popular one there's a few um i know top shelf has quite a few strains um but yeah latistella i think is one of my favorite acropora species um and yeah there's one here i've had for quite a long time uh and then i think towards the end of the video i switched to another one um really cool. yeah yeah, and these ones, if you get like a maricultured one, I really find them to be hit and miss. Like um, they don't all color up. Some of them just never really get metallic or bright pink. Um, so um, these are a couple that I know are kind of like tried and tested um, good good strains. So, um, but yeah, super cool species for sure. Coming 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 mostly from Indo. Indo. It's was yeah. uh, Is that a, a wild uh, piece you were able to get, or is that something that's been in the hobby for a while? The first one has been in the hobby for quite a long time, and the second one is an aquaculture piece. Nice. So, nice. so somebody else can get that same one, I'm sure, if they, you know, go uh, cherry picking or whatever. There you go. <laughs> Reef, yeah. Reefraft RR Lemon Demon. Yeah. That looks very it's, close to the uh, Pink Floyd. Yeah. So I think it's like Cytheria is maybe the species. It's like that kind of tabley, mm -hmm. um, like a lot of the yellow. Um, it could be like the Indo Microclados as well. Uh -huh. um, the video actually doesn't quite show how pink the inner branches are. The mm -hmm. inner branches are pretty pink. Wow. Because um, I have a few of this species and most of them are just yellow. But this one actually has like like pink and the polyps are reddish. So it's kind of like my nicest um, version of that kind of style that of acro. That is such a cool acro, man. That is yeah. so awesome. Yeah, love it. Love the tabling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that colony like survived a crash um, and was completely bleached, and I, you know, Saved nursed it. it back to health. Wow. So, I mean, it, it, it's proven itself as a hardy coral, <laughs> which I think is a benefit to the buyer. Do you find yeah. uh, that a lot of your acros are uh, tabling because of the way you've got them? you know, where, where they're at in terms of being in propagation tanks? I mean, I'm assuming um, that your tanks are not that tall, right? Yeah, they're not. I think, you know, I think a lot of acros um, table when they get to a certain size, you know, um, especially Aussie species. Um, like, you probably have noticed that over the years. Like, like a lot of acros, like if they're not like a staghorn or, you know, like a tort or ostara or something like that, like they tend to, when they get to a certain size, they, they table. And I think yeah. it's a good indication if you have stable parameters and if you have like good thorough water flow um, and if your corals are growing in a table, then that's like a really good sign that you're doing doing some things right, because that's the way they're going to look in the wild. Yeah. You know, I in my uh, peninsula tank, which is only 20 inches tall, I'm, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting more tabling acros and my acros are tabling a lot more than they have ever in, uh, you know, my other mm -hmm. tanks over the years. So I think um, the height of the tank, 20 inches, has got something to do with it. But I also got a shit ton of flow going on that tank. So I yeah. think that comes into play um, as well.
Yeah, and like I said, like the stability, I think, continues to allow like those axial growth tips to continue to put out new growth. So like they're just kind of nonstop growing. It's kind of like a Monty cap has a ring of growth, right? right? So that's just going to continue. It's the same thing with your ring of axial tips on an Acropora. So yeah, I mean, if you've got nice tabled shapes, you're probably doing something right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Reef Wrap Canada Wildfire. There's another awesome mm. looking coral. Wow. This is look another at, look at Aussie. Red pubs, man. That's insane. Yeah, I've actually, and, and I've seen a couple wild of the same species come in and they don't, they're just not as nice. The polyps aren't as red. I actually like gave a colony to someone of something that I thought might have been the same strain. But um, but yeah, it's like this like cream color kind of in the, in the base. Uh -huh. And the polyps are just like super contrasted red. Um, yeah, it's a cool piece. Gorgeous. Um, definitely... You're uh, you're definitely uh, lucky to be in the uh, Refrap Canada, um, the same in the same uh, continent or the same country as uh, Refrap <laughs> Canada because they uh, they had some pretty incredible stuff. I mean, how, how mm -hmm. many um, how many acros in your collection are from Refrap? Uh, I would say twenty to thirty or so. How big is um, your collection? I've got at least a couple hundred acros, um, different types of acros. I'd say yeah. one hundred and fifty different types, yeah. maybe. Um, but yeah, Jason actually got out of the game as far as I know. Really? So, um, yeah. Um, and he was working with, um, TGC, two guys corals, I think, or I think he had some affiliation with those guys. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I think there's going to be something will kind of come out of him because he had hella connections. I mean, he kind of started a lot of the, you know, big collector acro craze. Yeah. Like, I don't know, what was it? 10 or 12 years ago when yep. Refrap came out and. Um, you know, a lot of the big sort of name game injection was, was kind of his bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, his bad, his good, there's good and bad things about it, but, um, but yeah, no, he, he was well-connected and he was really good at, um, I think one of the reasons he had as much unique stuff as he did is he didn't really do maricultured as much. He would bring in wild collected. Mm. So even if it was Indo, he'd bring in Indo wild. Um, and then that way you're not just getting the same, uh, acro that's coming from the same brood stock that everybody else's acros are all coming from. So yeah, um, yeah, no, cool stuff. Um, speaking of TGC, the TGC cherry bomb. Mm -hmm. Not too many tenures yeah. like that out there, huh? No, and like I, I've I've said this before, like I don't see any red polyp tenuous come in 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 uh mariculture shipments that like can even compare to this one and and it just it's the fastest growing tenuous i've ever come across too like these like one of those i have fragged since but the three bigger chunks here i think were frags like less than six months ago maybe four months ago mm. And that's what I've grown since then. So yeah, um, they're just gangbusters. Perhaps, in my tank perhaps that cockwasser is doing something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> shortcakes, microcladis. Yeah, I put all the shortcakes in the same video. So um, yeah, these are Aussie microclados. And actually something I would say about microclados is like, you know, we see them come in from Indo as well. And and I think that's one of those corals they really need to try to see if it's a, actually the same species because Indo microclados and, and the microclados from Aussie just looks so different to me. Like they're just not even really comparable. So this is the this orangey tipped one I call tangerine shortcake. Hmm. Um, and the, the, the uh, yeah, I've got this big colony of this classic shortcake. The, the frags look better than the colony, actually. The colony like is a little bit, I don't know. You know how it is with big colonies sometimes, like you just can't. Uh -huh. 
but blast the flow through them once they get to a certain size. It's almost ready to frag it up a little. Uh, the last one's an uh, ultimate strawberry shortcake. In person, it's like a, a little bit of yellow in it. What, um, in terms of the name strawberry shortcakes that you have in your collection, what, uh, what, what are your, uh, some of your favorites? Um, so I guess I don't have too many. Like I've just got this like classic one I actually came from Refraft originally. Not that it's a Refraft strawberry shortcake. It's, but it's just one that came from Jason. Um, so that's kind of the main one I sell on the site. Uh, and then the tangerine was one that I kind of picked out of an Aussie order. Um, and I was super happy with it. I mean, that's a coral that I know like has been cultivated all across Canada now because I've sold a lot of it and other people that I know also sell coral have grown a lot of it. So it's kind of cool nice. to see that, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. And then the ultimate, I haven't, uh, haven't really had it very long. So it's like, I like to let my corals get to about, I'd say like four to six inches is like when I'll actually start fragging them. Cause you know, you know, it's like, that's kind of the sustainable frag size where, yeah. you, you know, you, you'll have another frag by the time you need another one yeah. pretty quickly. Right. Yep. So yep. yeah, it's like super growth. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What's a Thang's Aussie, um, can't uh, see the rest of the name here. Yeah, it's Aussie Pink. pink um, right, Thang, so Aussie Pink. Thang is a Toronto guy, um, GTA Reef. Um, I got this from him quite a while back, five or six years ago. And I think it's the same species as Confetti, but it's yeah. just so highly variable. Like, you yeah. see the kind of, like, turquoise colors, and, yeah. like, it's... Um, it's pretty unique. Like, like it almost looks like one side of the coral is a different coral. It looks like a protein side. infection or a splice or something. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's kind of one of my favorite pieces right now, just because it's kind of doing weird stuff. Like that one side, which, you know, I don't know, maybe it's 50 more par from the top of the colony to the bottom. Who knows? But it's, uh, oh, and the growth tips too. But yeah, definitely more color and, and more of the pink in there. So Chris yeah. says uh, Vincent found a wild uh, a Carolina... Carolinaiana. Uh, Carolinaiana, with natural grafting article and reef builders. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. I think I saw the pic of that, and yeah. that is super cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, torts. You talked about torts before in terms of the. Uh, mm -hmm. So what are we looking at here, tort wise? So let's see. The beginning of the video is so from left to right. It's the west coast tort we call this one, um, and then the middle is the Oregon. The Cali Wait, is that the so same right thing as the Cali? So Cali, yeah, on the right is the Cali, okay. the middle is the Oregon, okay. and then the left is the um, West Coast tort. And then I go from left to right with the Cali. Yeah, I just wanted to show the difference just so, so people kind of because sometimes people ask, and you know, the Oregon tort is twice as expensive as the Cali, but like you know, maybe I don't know, depends on what you like more. Like it's just a little bit of a different. You know, different tone of blue so yeah i think um it, it depends i mean i think there's like probably different varieties of the cali torp floating around here in the u.s that uh that i've seen i mean my experience with the cali torp is that um you know it's more of a branching coral where the oregon tort is um kind of more um condensed branches yeah and yeah they don't seem like the same species no, to be honest no. yeah and you get I, I i see a lot of green in some of the uh the cali tort uh frags or colonies that i have and um hmm. i think there is some green in the oregon tort but yeah. i don't see a lot of it i think i see more of the green in certain instances with a cali tort yeah yeah, yeah no the oregon's awesome though i mean definitely oh man you can't beat it one of my faves yeah um all right and we're gonna wrap it here with the uh the walt disney all right I think that's like one of the best tenuous out there. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I was testing my par the other day, and I think these were sitting around 350, 400 mm. par kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a great coral. And I, I haven't seen the same coral come in an AmeriCulture shipment. So, um, you know, the power to the Walt Disney is that it's like, you know, made its uh, its place in the hobby, um, you know, from us cultivating it ourselves and you know, there's no imitations <laughs> coming in. Yeah, it's pretty kind of hard to see the, um, you know, how you can kind of get that confused with something else. It's a pretty distinctive, mm -hmm. uh, tenuous in terms of the um, versus like a home record or something else. But um, I think that's I mean, personally, that's one of my personal favorites in terms of tenuous out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. But um, all right, dude, I think. Um, I think we're going to wrap it. What um, any, do you want to uh, leave us any final words or pieces of advice for folks out there trying to get to the next level with uh, with SPS? Uh, actually, I wanted to kind of turn the tables a little bit, and uh, uh, so in my podcast, um, I end the show with uh, asking these rapid fire questions. So I, thought I used it'd be to kind do that. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay, well, you're going to get rapid fire questions. All right. <laughs> uh -oh. Okay, so Keith. Uh, favorite turn, fish. Turn on the tables on me here, huh? Yeah. Favorite fish. Favorite, uh, oh, regal angelfish. Nice. Um, uh, and, favorite... and if it had a, um, I guess, um, what do you call those, uh, um, uh, the deviations in the, um, completely spacing out, the miss bar, miss bar regal angelfish, you know, when you get those miss bars going. I don't know if I know, but I'll have to look into that. Yeah. That those get to be a little pricey. I've had a couple of those. Yeah, cool. Okay, favorite SPS? Um, I would have to say the Oregon Blue Tort. Okay, I think I already knew that. Favorite LPS? Doesn't have to I be one care. of your collection either. <laughs> you don't care? Okay, I guess I'm going to say the same for Softy. Do you have a favorite Softy? Nah. No, NA. Okay. I, I, uh, well, Green Star Polyp, is that a Softy? Was that qualified? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You can say that. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, favorite light? It can be like a source of light or a product, particular model. Uh, you mean uh, in terms of metal halide versus LEDs? Versus... Yeah, or if you like, yeah, certain model well, for, of light. For, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a bulb, 400 watt, 20k um, radium bulbs. Yeah, definitely one of the best bulbs yeah. of all time. Yeah. Okay. Favorite product line? If you were to say use one product line to run your system. <laughs> well, I sell GHL stuff, so I'll uh, that, I use I pretty much use all, all the uh, the GHL in terms of the product line. So I'm a big fan of GHL stuff. But, uh, That's a, but I'm so, very biased. Yeah, but so if it was for reef, your chemistry of your reef, like if it was for like salt and products. Like oh, that. Well, I use Captivate Aquaculture. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I use salt and his Chris's uh, supplements and all that good stuff. So yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Calkwasser is Calkwasser is like off the hook good. Yeah, I started using it recently too, and I definitely noticed. Um, like a bump in pH and alkalinity, it was like yeah, yeah very very hyper pure stuff. Yeah, yeah, hyper reactive. Uh, favorite wave pump? Oh, you know, sponsor Ecotech, and yeah. I'm not I'm not saying that because they're a sponsor. I've been using yeah. those for ever. Yeah, MP40s are definitely yeah. one of my all time faves for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, what is your most favorite or most hated pest that you've ever dealt with? Well, aquarium Spies. flatworms, I think, are pretty yeah. uh, pretty gnarly. Mm hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. So if you were going to choose one of these three things to like pay more attention to, uh, lighting flow or water chemistry, like say two of them could be like done well. And then one of them could be just like knocked it out of the park. 
So say that again. I got to pick two out of. So the yeah, lighting, flow, or water chemistry. What would you say is the most important thing to you? Oh, geez. Um, lighting, flow, or well, lighting and flow. I think are the two most important things. And then I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of getting more and more into the water chemistry thing. Mm -hmm. I used to not be into the water chemistry thing at all in terms of ICPs and dosing, um, you know, supplements and, and, and what have you. So that is a, um, more of a relatively new thing for me in terms of my reef keeping journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually kind of cool to hear because yeah, I mean, like sometimes I wish I cared less about water chemistry and just let it do its thing. <laughs> I used to like uh, the only things I used to test for years ago when I had like you know when I was on you know had the reef central tank in the month and all that stuff. I, I tested for with the solid for test kits, uh, nitrates, phosphates, alkalinity, and magnesium. And did I say calcium? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. No, I didn't I, no, so I'm sorry. <laughs> let me take. So I, I did not test for magnesium on a regular basis. And I did not test for um, phosphate on a regular basis. In fact, I rarely have ever tested for uh, for phosphate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's almost like ignorance was bliss back yeah. in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Final question. This is kind of a fun thought experiment. So, if you had the sort of life situation and the financial means to do so, would you do a polo style reef? Nope. You you would not. Okay. No. Why not? I'm curious. Too much work. But you get to hire people to do it. Oh, okay. Well, if I, if I had to hire people to do it, then maybe that's a whole different story. But if it's not yeah. all on me, then yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. I think it's every reefer's dream to have a, you know, a tank you can uh, put a mask on and jump into yeah. in your living room. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> for sure. I, you know, I'm thinking like downsizing, you know, in the next few years in terms of like, yeah. I got too much crap to like worry about. So, um, I don't know. It's, um, it, I, I love, it's a great hobby, but, uh, you know, it takes uh, over your life. It, that's it, for it, sure. can, it can be uh, pretty uh, demanding in terms of the amount of time and all that stuff. So I do like yeah. the idea of having people that could do stuff for you though. That'd yeah, be cool. For sure. Uh, yeah. Final thing I'll just say is, uh, I am going to be in Orlando and Miami in the beginning of November. So I'm going to visit some shops there and, uh, we're looking at trying to import some stuff from from Orlando as well. So anyways, if anybody sees me in the shops, like say hi or whatever, I'm, you know, I'll be visiting. So should be fun. Cool. All right, Adam, man, this was uh, this was a real treat. A lot of fun, dude. Looking forward, yeah, thanks to, having a lot, you, man. Looking forward to having you back on. So, yeah. um, I'll, uh, let's, uh, we'll wrap it up here. I want to thank Adam again for being on the live stream tonight. And I also want to thank both bulk reef supply and Ecotech Marine for supporting the show and sponsoring it. I also want to thank all you folks out there for tuning in and also a big thank you to Paul who is the moderator as well as the president of the Boston Reefer Society. Please join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so important to this hobby. Also want to let you know that all episodes of Wrap on the Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Wrap on the Reef Bum live stream will be on Tuesday, October 17th. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Andrew Robson, who is a hobbyist and bonsai artist. So we're going to be talking a lot about the art of bonsai and aquascaping and how those two can uh, connect, intersect. So it should be another great show. If you want to check out the full upcoming schedule of guests, visit reefbum.com under the YouTube section. Until next time, be safe and be well.